Thank you very, very much. To me, it is always like a homecoming to be able to be here at uh, Valley Bible. It is a tremendous joy. Uh, one of the things I studied at seminary is climate and culture of the organization. And it is a very sophisticated thing, very hard to change, very hard to put on. But every time I come here, I am in, I have, was trying to put my finger on it in the last, uh, last service, and there is a unique culture and climate to this organization. And there is a special fountainhead to that culture and climate. It's the pastor uh, that this church has. He has a heart for all peoples. He, he has just a, an amazing love for the Lord, a passion to communicate the word, and I think it really has been able to pervade throughout, and it is a tremendous, tremendous blessing. Every time I come, I feel like I'm with family, even though I haven't seen you probably in a couple of years, but uh, very, very exciting. When we were hearing the testimony from uh, Dominica uh, out there in the Caribbean, it reminded me all over again of the stuff that people in Cuba went through in the same hurricane, Irma. It had this uh, sport about it to rake the entire north coast of Cuba. Cuba is as long as the state of California, 850 miles. And it decided to just go right up that north coast and keep up its strength from the water and yet wreak havoc on the coast. And uh, it was a tremendous needy time. By the Lord's grace, we were able to bring resources and at the very least, help 170 of the workers' families to be able to restore roofs and give them food and do different things with them. At the same time that all of that was going on, we were down in the southern part of Texas when it was going to hit. And we fled with the people that fled northward back home. And then that area got hit with 50 inches of rain. It was an amazing situation where everything we drove through the day after was covered with water. And there were all kinds of folks. I didn't know what they'd do with their cattle and, uh, and that sort of thing. The loss was in the billions and billions and billions. But it was amazing to us. At the same time that that was going on, we had a similar situation that had flooded tens of millions of people in India in northern India. We work close to the Nepal uh, border, and we work in a region called Purnia in uh, Bihar, and uh, that is one province that used to be twice the size, but it was too big, so they split it in two so that they could manage it more properly. Now each half has only 110 million people in it, and they got flooded by the monsoon. And it is really amazing when you're trying to understand how to help people like that. What do you do to make a difference with so many people? And yet the incredible blessing is to see how God behind the scenes of what we see is always at work bringing out the best and the greatest good out of situations like that. You know, I have a message from the Word of God in a, today that that is exactly what God is about. In the book of Habakkuk, 
God reveals to Habakkuk that he was going to bring about judgment and he was going to make the people go through a very difficult time. But Habakkuk tries to cope with that answer and is saying, Lord, you can't do this. This is devastation. These people are worse morally than your people Israel. You know, you can't really, you're too pure to do something like that. And God basically is unveiling for him his plan for the nations. They're at the time of Babylon. And when Babylon is going to come and invade and take the people into exile for 70 years. And when all of these bad things are about to happen, God is basically telling his servant, the righteous will live by faith. In times of difficulty, in times of turmoil, in times where you don't understand the spasms and all of the convulsions that the world is going through, the, what is the righteous man to do? The righteous is to latch on to God's program. Join him because that is guaranteed to have blessing and victory. And God is doing that. Even when in the United States we've got all sorts of commotions because of all the violence here in the home front, because of the terrorism, because of all the mass shootings, because of the different things, we can be assured that God is moving his purpose forward at, this, at the very step and pace that he had traced for it all along. And we can be assured that great things will happen because he is in control even of the difficult situations that we face. Now, it, it has happened in places like India, like I was mentioning. We were trying to scrape up all this money to try to help the people over there. We were not even coming up with a fraction of what we knew was needed to just minister to the region. And, you know, if we had the time for the pictures and so on, you know, they would put... Uh, a piece of plastic on the ground about as long as one of the pews and about four times as wide and they would pour sacks of flour on it and they would begin to mix things like you would mix normally on your counter to be able to roll out what looks like a flour tortilla which is called parota over there which is the main staple that people eat with and our guys we're trying to come up with enough food to help the people. Ironically, you know, they're getting flooded with water, too much water. And yet the biggest need was for water. There, there was no way to drink water because once it floods, it mixes, you know, the bad water, sewage water, with good water, and then it is contaminated and nobody can drink it. So one of the things that came about because of this situation is that we were able to gather funds to do bore wells in India that are able to provide water for multiple villages. And the amazing thing is that you can actually see towns, people from villages come around and sit around like they're going to watch a major soccer match or some sort of a sport just to watch the two guys that are going to do the bore well. It is very primitive, the way they sink the pipe 
into the hole, and then they cheer when the water comes out. It's like they broke through, and now they know that they have water and that they're willing to share it. Well, that has won such great favor with the people that now they want to know all about us, all about the gospel, all about the things that we came to share, and it's opening major, major inroads for the gospel. Just a few months ago, they were persecuting us. Just a few months ago. The very people. You know, they took one of our guys, and they decided that they were not going to let him through a particular village. So they broke all the, all the windows of his car, a little beat-up car anyway, so not much loss there. To him, it's a big, big, big loss. But they grabbed him. They tied him up. They took him to a, a, a tree that was there, and they tied him on, on, to the tree, but standing on a major anthill, you know, so that he could get chewed up by the ants. Well, to them, it was great sport. He ended up in the hospital getting treated for, you know, bites and infection all over his body. But the blessing is that now, because of what happened with the storms, because of the contamination of the water, because of the bore wells, there is tremendous water of life flowing to all those people. And this is the message that God is basically given to Habakkuk. He's saying, I know what I'm about. I'm going to do this, but the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that is a point that he drives home. They will see my splendor. They will see my glory. And they will know about me. And this is, you know, turmoil, chaos, all of this. And many of us would say, Lord, why? You know, why are you going to do that? And yet God is unfolding this incredible panorama of all that he had in mind. When we were trying to do it without the help in between, without showing the love, it was becoming very, very difficult. But now that they get to see what's in our heart, they are able to embrace it, to welcome it, and to even be protective about the people that are coming to them. So in our book, God knows exactly what's going on, and he knows how he wants to get things done. There, I want to read the scriptures. You know, we really ran out of time because my purpose is to bring the field to you to let you see what is happening out there. Believe me, I have enjoyed doing the study on Habakkuk, and to me, it shows, yes, the panorama of what God intends to do with the nations, but at the same time, it shows you that God has the whole world in his heart, and that he wants to use everything about our lives, about our day-to-day, of our, our attitudes, so that we can fulfill the purposes that he has in reaching the lost for salvation. It says in uh, Habakkuk, if you can find it, uh, and that's quite a trick. Um, see, I just have one of these super Bibles that you just click and it shows up. And uh, so good luck to you. Uh, but I'm going to start reading in uh, Habakkuk 2.4, which is the theme verse of the book of Habakkuk. It has what's going to happen with the wicked and what the righteous is to do 
in the midst of these turbulent times. It says in 2.4, Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him, but the righteous will live by his faith. If you wanted a slogan, if you wanted a life strategy for what to do in turbulent times, how to face up to difficulties that are coming at us from every side, it says the righteous will live by faith, will walk by faith according to the scriptures, will cling to the Lord's hand, and we're going to make it from victory unto victory all the way to the end. You stay with him, we stay with him, and he will lead us always to triumph. It says in 2.14, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It says that we can be confident in times of turmoil and difficulty because the Lord is unfolding his plan. Yes, we can be reassured in the midst of those turbulent times because of the fulfillment of God's promises to fill the earth with his knowledge and to show mercy even in the time of judgment. So there are two powerful reasons that he says why we can be reassured at a time like this. He basically is telling us how God is going to multiply the knowledge of himself. And, you know, this is always a, a, a balancing act for me because there are so many chapters of what God is doing. Believe me, I have to wrestle with what I'm going to leave out. For example, last hour, I did not share, but I'm just minding my business. I show up in Spain. I was just there uh, Friday. Uh, I came back Friday night from Spain, and I have to be on my way back to Canary Island, Spain, next Sunday, a week from today. And there's teaching and growth and multiplication going all over the place. We've been to Canaries a long time ago because of the fruit that came from the year 2001. Now we're opened up in every one of the eight islands. And we have extension schools going in all these places. And so that's a place I'm going back to. But this time I just came there. I was there and, uh, a couple of months ago when this happened. And somebody says, Nasi wants to talk with you. And I said, who is Nasi? And he said, you know the Aramean that graduated last May? I said, you know, I, I'm really blank. I, I'm really sorry. I, you know, I can't remember him. And uh, they said, well, would it be okay for you to meet with him? Absolutely. You know, not hard to get or anything. Just let him know, that, you know, when I'll be. So we have lunch together. And then I discover an entire chapter of how God is at work making glorious things happen out of turmoil and terror and everything else. Nasi is an Aramean, just like Abraham, the wandering Aramean. He comes from the same ethnic group. And he grew up in a town that's also in your Bible in the book of Acts. The town is called Antioch, north of Syria. So he is an Antiochian Aramean. How biblical do you want to get? 
he fled from this Antioch because when the Shah of Iran, you remember way back when, maybe some of you guys do, others may be too young for that. I remember when the Shah was deposed and the Muslims became very brave and very proud and they began to attack to conquer. This was the, the trumpet call for them to go out and conquer. So they went to Nasi's village. But before they got to Nasi's village, they went into the town next to Antioch, killed 300 men, women, and children just to prove they are the ones to be respected and feared if you want to stay alive. So everybody feared them. And in Nasi's town, knowing that they were coming, people wanted to flee. Not everybody could get out. Nasi had a business already at that time, so he bribed a couple of guards. They let him through, and he fled to a place called Germany. When he was in Germany, he had a hunger and a thirst for revenge. So he wanted to recruit people uh, to be guerrilla uh, soldiers with him in Germany. And he wanted to take them back and to overthrow the Muslims that took over his town. But a gentleman, you might remember his name, Helmut Kohl. He was the chancellor of Germany all the way up in his perch as the number one politician in his country. He heard of Nazi's plans. So he invited him to his office as chancellor. And he told him that he could not stick around in Germany and do this. He said, I understand your feelings. I can even sympathize. If somebody did something like that to my family, I want to do something to remedy the situation. But in here, in Germany, you will not prosper. So you have to go try to do it somewhere else. Because if you keep on this path here, we will pick you up and everything will go down the drain. So please go somewhere else and try whatever it is you're going to try. So he left. Went to France. Things did not work out in France. But he heard Spain had just opened up as part of the European Union. This is 1992. Nasi went to Spain. He liked guns. He liked a lot about military hardware and so on. So he got a job as a bodyguard for a politician in Spain. He was waiting to go into his shift in downtown Madrid. Spain, the Iberian Peninsula, looks like that, even with the little peak of my thumbs sitting right on top of Africa. In the belly button is Madrid, and in the belly button of the belly button is downtown Madrid. This is like, you know, Times Square, New York. It's zero kilometer. Nasi is there. But we have a group of students from our seminary that go and do evangelism in the heart of Spain every two or three days downtown. They take a soapbox, they get up on top of the soapbox, and they begin to preach the gospel. And Nasi was looking at people there. This is a place where a lot of people go to watch, uh, do people watching. And he saw this group of guys with a guitar try to carry a tune and sing a song or two before somebody gets up on the soapbox to preach. So Nasi said they were singing so badly 
that I decided to stay to maybe give them a few tips on how to sing better. This is brilliant how God uses everything about us, <laughs> even the bad stuff. You know, so he stays. And when they finish singing, you need to come and give them lessons on how to sing, please. But, you know, when he's going to go up there, no sooner had they finished, actually a guy, you know, from the team gets up on the soapbox. And this is just something that gives me goosebumps. The guy on the soapbox points to Nassie and says, just in, unbelievable, soldier of men, do you want to become a soldier of Jesus Christ? He thought KGB, CIA, he covered his gun a little bit. He had a jacket, but he says he grabbed it and, and he just, you know, who told him? And then he began to appeal to every bad chapter of his life. He said, I, you know, I don't know where he got this information, but it was right on target. And so he said, when he gave the invitation, I felt he was just talking to me the entire time. I just went forward and received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. This is a few years back. Forward to today, Nasi and I are having lunch downtown Madrid. He enrolled in our seminary because he heard about it from our guys that go to downtown. He graduated through the extension program. That's why I had not met him. And, you know, he is senior founding pastor of the growingest church in Madrid. He's in the north. He has actually with his church, bought a building that's almost as big, well, about as big as this auditorium. They have subdivided it to be able to have classrooms and so on. And then they have a main auditorium that is like the, the section here in the middle. And he is multiplying. His son is going to be a full-time student next fall with us. It's already been decided. His son is thrilled and he wants to join his father in ministry. And now that church is multiplying. He wants our extension center to gather in that church. And he wants to get people from his church and people from other churches to come. The guy that was recruiting guerrillas is now recruiting evangelists for the kingdom of God. But it was to him... Turmoil, death itself that came to his town. And God was at work. And God was making all things to work together for good in the case of this dear brother. So it says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as surely as the waters cover the sea. And God is going to get it done. And he's getting it done. And you can stand back and you can... Be awed and, and made afraid and just kind of hope that the Lord comes soon. Or you can join him and you can be part of this ministry of reconciliation that he has committed to us. He reconciled us and he made us part of the ministry of reconciliation. You can join him right here where you are. You can be part and parcel of everything that he's doing throughout the region. 
throughout your city, in your neighborhood, anywhere you are, because that is what he is about. He gave us a commission, and it is about being obedient. We don't know. The knowledge of the Lord does not take place until we obey. I took people in Dominican Republic through this concept. I was there three weeks ago in three cities in Dominican, in Barahona in the south, in Santo Domingo, in the northeast, and then way off in the east in La Romana. And in those three places, I met with a total of about 400 pastors and church planters. And those guys, you know, were thrilled to hear about the knowledge of the word of the Lord. They were in love with it. Uh, a pastor uh, came up to the pulpit, said, you know, this is the fourth teaching session that we get from WorldLink. I want to confess, saying to all the pastors, how ignorant I am. I have not learned any of this stuff. I have not known. I've just been pastoring, preaching mainly on three topics. I preach on, on the gospel, and I found out that I'm not even clear on the gospel because, you know, they've been teaching you can lose your salvation. Particularly, they teach you can use, lose your salvation if you're not tithing. That's big business. I was telling Pastor Phil about it. He wanted to hear all about it. Not really. Um, but you know, they have incredibly beautiful churches. They even have television stations in their churches. They are well equipped because of that particular teaching. You know, it, they wanted to know, you know, they would say, uh, Pastor, they, they, they call me. It, but we are, we are still under the law, aren't we? No, we're not. It says in Romans 7, we've died to the law. Well, but at least we're under the part of the law that says we have to tithe. I said, no, if we're dead to the law, we're dead to the whole law. And then they say, but, but then, so why do we tithe? I said, we tithe because we are disciples. Because in Luke 14, it says, and Jesus was not really making a sugar-coated invitation. He says, if you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. If you don't do that, you cannot be my disciple. If you're not willing to hate father, mother, your family, even your own life more than me, the gospel, you cannot be my disciple. He says, if you're not willing to give all your possessions, you cannot be my disciple. Then they say, you know what? Maybe we're better under the law. It seems it's not as stringent as discipleship. I said, think about this. Have you really been a disciple if obedience is nowhere in the panorama? If it's just about comfort, comfort therapy on Sundays. You know, is, it, do you see my dear family here at, at uh, Valley Bible? I love you dearly, sincerely. And I just think, you know, many times we're not quite aware of this Christianity that we've embraced. You know, I go in many, many places where we take the Bible verse by verse and we just keep on doing the math and the impact is powerful. It almost knocks people over when we come to conclusions. 
particularly people over there that have never heard. So they tell me how much they enjoy the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea, except, you know, when we talk about these things, I said, look, guys, you know, I love you very much, the, the Dominicans. I am thrilled to be here, and I love it to the nth degree that you love the, the teaching of the Word of God. That is fantastic. You know, I love it that you enjoy understanding the panorama of the Scriptures. But I'll tell you one thing. We are going to have a fantastic time in heaven. Fellowship is going to be sweet, is going to be forever, etc. But if you don't sign on to obey, see, Jesus says, teach them to obey. We always stop at the teaching. But he says, teach them to obey. That's the Great Commission. We're celebrating today the Great Commission. And the Great Commission says, teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Before he said that is, let me remind you, all authority is given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. So I tell my dear Dominican friends in Barahona, in Santo Domingo, in La Romana, we have come and we have taught. And we're trying to bring guys that are highly qualified to teach you. We're even getting some professors from Dallas Seminary to come and teach for free over there. That's a miracle, <laughs> isn't it? But they come and they really give free tuition, as it were. But I said, the trade-off is obedience. If there is no obedience, as much as I love you, as much fun as I'm looking forward to have with you in heaven, I'm not coming back. We're not coming back. And at first they thought I was joking. And, but, but the more they talked about it, the more they understood exactly why we're doing that kind of thing. And then they decided to take it upon themselves First, to write, compose a little sign-up sheet with all kinds of information, caveats, commitments, etc. And then they had it printed through passing it on to a computer and then printing many forms. And 160 people signed up to plant new churches. Absolutely free to us but absolutely at the cost of their obedience. Because they became aware that if the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, like the waters cover the sea, we will only have known until we have obeyed. And I proved the equation to them. We did a Bible study where we talked about knowledge and learning and this and that, and how it time and time and time again says that to learn is to obey. And without obedience, there is no learning that has taken place. So we are absolutely thrilled for the different things that are going. There is a second thing, and I'm going to cover it very, very quickly. But the Lord, you know, is being asked by Habakkuk, in judgment, remember mercy. First of all, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the water, uh, of the of the glory of the Lord 
as the waters cover the sea. But then secondly, the, 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 Lord, the Lord is being asked, please, in judgment, remember mercy. But we know from the book of Revelation, chapter 10, that's the very thing that God is about. I preached here from Revelation 10 a while back, and there we see the vision of an angel that comes at the great tribulation. After the first seven judgments of the seals have already fallen on earth, after six of the seven trumpet judgments have already taken place, then before the seventh trumpet, an angel comes down. It's like waving a white flag. Truce. Time out. The angel swears by the one who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. There will be no more delay. But when the seventh angel plays his trumpet, sounds his trumpet, then everything will be fulfilled. There is no more breaks. This is it. Why is the Lord doing that? This is the 11th and a half hour in the human history. And yet he is willing to come down. The angel is coming down and wave a flag. He has a canopy that is the rainbow on his head, which represents mercy at a time of judgment. You remember this, Revelation chapter 10. This is God's attitude, and he wants his church to have the exact same attitude. He wants for us to be a people of mercy, even in these times of judgment. That whereas everybody is turning to the right and to the left, front and back, and all they see is turmoil, trials, tribulations, problems, death, and so on, that in the Lord's people, they might find the mercy and the grace for a time of need, such as today. This is what God is about. He has reconciled us, and he has committed to us the work of reconciliation. And it is getting multiplied. The mercy is being made available, and God wants to make it available through us. We are out of time, but I was talking to a lady in Toledo, Spain, because I think some friends, pastors, who wanted to shop a little before they headed back to the U.S., and uh, a lady was reading through the headlines, and it was just horror, horror to the left, horror to the right, difficulties here, difficulties there, bands, gangs from the Eastern European countries that have set up mafia for exploiting women, for drugs, for different things, and they are taking over a people that were just happy-go-lucky townsfolks from pueblos around Spain, enjoying life and just trying to dedicate themselves to family. That's their big thing in Spain, family, and they mean extended family, cousins, uncles, aunts, just to have a party, be all together. And the gangs people are coming in, and they're inducing their kids to get into drugs and into all kinds of trouble. And this lady was at her wit's end, and she's looking at things, and she says, what are, what are we supposed to do at a time like this? This is what I'm talking to you about. People are trying to find out where do we turn, because there, nothing. Oh, there, nothing. Over here, behind, nothing. And I said to her, it says in Proverbs 18.10 in the Bible, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are safely lifted up. 
in the, in the meaning of the Hebrew. And she wanted to know, how does that work? So I explained the gospel to her, and she received the Lord as her Savior. In the midst of tribulation and difficulty and when judgment is showing in the distance, there is mercy available to the Lord. But the only way they will know about it is if his people will be obedient to enter the ministry of reconciliation right here where you are and abroad through the many missionary partnerships and everything that God set this redemption agency up here for. So, you know, that's just a little microcosm with the lady. But it's happening in a major, major way. When Germany was running out of people because their population is going down, they're not making Germans like they used to. They're not multiplying. They imported Turks and they imported Italians to work so that by working and paying taxes, they can keep a socialist government alive. When it happened to the French, the French brought a lot of North Africans that brought Islam with them, and now they have major problems. The, the uh, Muslims are on purpose multiplying relatives to flood the French out of their own country and taking over. And there are cities, even in London, that are being run by Islamic peoples, mayors, and so on already. When it happened in Spain, the Spaniards said, well, we don't have Turks, we don't have Italians, whom do we have? Wait, we have lots of Latin Americans. So they decided to import 10 million Latin Americans. But they did not realize that 20% on the low end of Latin Americans are born-again evangelicals. So they imported 2 million evangelicals from Latin America, which is the biggest evangelical and evangelistic force that has ever been present in Spain. I say God is doing mighty, wonderful things in a world of turmoil. And he says that the righteous shall live by faith. And he wants to make us part and parcel of his winning team. He wants for us to engage right here where we are, in our communities, in our towns, in the state, and unto the world. This is God's idea. It is God's plan. It is not something we dreamed up. We are just excited when we find out we stumbled on this and we stumbled on that. And it's really our God putting it in front of us so that we don't miss it. And you can be part of it too. God says that he wants for us to be his ambassadors. And it is important for us to understand that the Great Commission was to teach us to obey. And until we have obeyed, we have not learned. And this is exactly what, what he wants us to be aware. And he wants to more than be aware for us to be in this ministry of obedience. Let us pray. Let us go before the Lord. And let us tell him what we intend to do about this. If you're here today in prayer and you truly want to take God seriously and you mean to learn to obey because the other kind of learning is no learning at all and you mean to engage in your world, please tell him, dear God,
I am quite aware that you are at work and that you can do mighty things. A little boy turned over his lunch and you fed 5,000 people. And whatever meager things I may bring to the table, I know you can use them. So I want to be part and parcel of what you're doing. I want, oh Lord, to not just stand by or sit by and hope for the rapture, but I want to engage my world in obedience to you. And I am making myself available, and I'm asking you to please use me as you want to use me. If that prayer expresses the desire of your heart, and you mean that with all your heart, with all your sincerity, and want to seal this moment as yours in prayer, then may I see your hand where you're sitting saying, I'm praying that prayer. God bless you, so many of you. God bless you. I'm lifting my hand with you. I can't get enough of it. I want all that he has for what we're doing. God bless you throughout this entire auditorium. You can put your hand down. We keep in prayer. If you're here today and you see the turmoil all around, you see the mass shootings, you see rogue nations that want to attack the United States, declaring acts of war because we will not cooperate with them, others that have conspiracies to take over parts of the world or to destroy the U.S. economy, and you don't know what to do. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it, and they are pulled up into safety. If you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, if you're not clear, if he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven, if you're not clear about the answer or the certainty of it, you need to know four things and make them your own. One, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Two, you can't enjoy that love and plan because sin has broken the relationship with God. The only way that that relationship can be remedied, repaired, is by the death of someone in your place. Either your death or the death of someone. That someone is the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross to take care of the penalty of your sins, of the power of sin in your life, and of the presence of sin forever. Therefore, the fourth spiritual law says that we each, at one moment of our life, need to receive the Lord Jesus Christ as our only and sufficient Savior. Take what he did on the cross for us, which he offers to us, his righteousness in exchange for our sins. He paid for those sins on the cross. And now we can say, yes, Lord Jesus, I want that righteousness. I receive you as my only and my sufficient Savior. If you have not done this in a clear way before, but you're making today the day that you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, make that prayer your own. Say, God, I want that prayer. I want what Jesus did on the cross for me. I want the salvation he offers me. I want his righteousness in exchange for my sins. And if you're saying that prayer with all your heart, then can I also see your hand where you are? Right there. God bless you. 
God bless you over here. Several people over there as well in the very back. God bless you. Anybody else? The Lord is doing it for you. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we're ambassadors for Christ as if God were begging through us. We are to beg of people to be reconciled with God. So the one that begs is God through us. And that's why we must make it known. We are begging you as God would beg you. Be reconciled with God. Before we pray, this is your moment. If you want to receive God bless you over here. Anybody else? Anybody else? Amen. Amen. Father, we turn to you with deepest gratitude. Thank you because even though the days can be dark and gloomy and turbulent, you are doing a wonderful thing. You're filling the earth with the knowledge of the glory of your name as surely as the waters cover the sea. We thank you because in times of judgment you remember mercy and you're multiplying your mercy to the nations and you delight in having your people have a heart of mercy for those who are being lost. Help us to speak up. To, just as we sang in this song, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, we pray, O oh God, that we would have that conviction like Paul had in Romans chapter 1. I am not ashamed. I am a debtor. And we need to discharge this debt of sharing the gospel with people. I am eager. I am ready. The three I am's of Paul. Help us, O Lord, to mimic that to the glory of your great name and to the salvation of many. In Jesus' name, in Jesus name we pray. Amen.